Last week, we talked about a new year, a new leader. And this week, we are talking about the passion fallacy. After decades of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond our personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes? A job change and multiple conversations with stressed out nonprofit leaders later, our desire to help nonprofits grow in a healthy and sustainable way was bigger than ever. If you're a leader at the top or in the middle of a volunteer and donor-based organization, this podcast is for you. We believe that a better world needs healthier nonprofits, and it's our passion to help you fulfill your organization's mission while helping you live a fulfilled life. I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa. Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement. Welcome back to the podcast. It's time we talk about passion today. Yeah, especially coming into a new year, people are thinking through, what can I do? What can I be excited about? What can we accomplish as an organization or in our own personal lives? What am I passionate about? I'm seeing that so much right now, people asking the question, what am I passionate about? What can I do? And it's a good question, but it's also not a great question sometimes. Yeah, we were just talking about this earlier today. And I was like, this would be a good podcast episode because we see this happening all the time, right? Where it's like people, they are guided by what they're passionate about, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between being infatuated with an idea or, or a new project or a new business, or a, a new nonprofit, or new leadership structure, or whatever it might be, or like new new ways of organizing, and confusing that with what real passion is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just leads to a lot of problems where organizations, I feel like leaders in general, have this tendency to jump from thing to thing to thing. Mm-hmm trying to be, I want to make sure I'm doing what I'm passionate about so that way I don't get burnt out or whatever. And then things just never get a chance to mature. Right. And I think it is super important to start something from some level of passion. Like, let's be honest, we don't want to run a nonprofit organization. We don't want to lead people in an area or space that we care nothing about. Right. Um, If you're currently working within a nonprofit, it's very, very difficult work if you have absolutely no passion for the cause, for the people you're helping, for the people you're leading, whatever it might be. It's So passion is important. Mm-hmm. But what we've seen a lot working with different leaders and seeing different organizations is leaders who confuse um, being passionate about something long-term with the short-term feeling of being passionate. Like being excited. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, like it's the whole grass is greener on the other side. There's always something shiny to look at and to wonder, oh, if I was just doing that, maybe it would fix things. Or if there's this new book or this new concept or this new idea... That's going to help me run my organization better or, um, you know, for like some churches, it's like it's a new teaching series or whatever's kind of like around the corner always seems to be driving a lot of leaders. And then they get they kind of mask it over and say, well, this is where my passion is. So this is where I should try to stay. Yeah, I think sometimes that word passion becomes uh, an excuse to just change it up. It's like. If I throw the word passion on it, no one can argue with it. Mm -hmm. And if no one can argue with it, then I can do what I want to do. And 
we've seen leaders who value the feeling of excitement more than the ability for their organization to last long term. And so they will sabotage stability in order mm-hmm. to get that short term feeling of excitement. And then when someone says this doesn't make sense or it's an unhealthy cycle or whatever it might be, they come back with, but it's what I'm passionate about. Don't you want me to be passionate about this? I want to care about this. Don't you want a leader who cares? And it's not honest passion. It's a short-term infatuation. And it's killing off any long-term potential that the organization has, like, going into the future. Yeah, I think it ends up working a lot like a like a drug addict, where it's like they just get addicted to the endorphin rush and the adrenaline rush of starting something new, having a bunch of new problems to solve, um, being able to kind of like shuffle things around and let other things that they were like bored of, but were important, fall by the wayside because they were yesterday's problems. Mm -hmm. Now I've got this new shiny thing to have to worry about. And so other things just become deprecated and fall away. This happens a lot in like creative projects for yeah. people. It happens a lot. I mean, just in general, but it was, it becomes a real problem for a ton of people when leaders deal with this because there are other people who were along for the ride. And then they realize that they got left on the side of the road and their leaders off somewhere else. And I think it happens more often for people in leadership. Like we have to become more aware of it because it's so easy to, just run after the next thing. And a lot of times what makes leaders great is the fact that they're willing to step into the unknown and blaze mm-hmm. a trail into just dense foliage and say, you know what, we're going to figure it out. And there's something exciting about being on the front lines and being that, um, having that entrepreneurial spirit, especially in the nonprofit sector, when you realize what we're doing can make a different type of difference And sometimes it becomes a rush to chase that feeling and to keep organizations in perpetual startup mode. Organizations, like if they're going to develop, they need to develop like long term. They need Mm -hmm. to grow from being like an infant organization to actually being able to walk on its own, um, to being able to actually mature and bring up other leaders. And the leadership that's needed in maturity is a different type of leadership uh, that got it started just barreling through the woods saying, we'll just figure it out. It doesn't mean that it needs a different leader, but leaders need to recognize that depending on where your organization is at, that same mm-hmm. leadership, like you have to grow and mature as a leader too. And mm-hmm. sometimes that maturity is recognizing that infatuation isn't the most important thing to chase. Right, Passion isn't the most important thing to chase. But you can build passion into what you're doing and you can build passion in other ways to keep it good. Yeah, this is this is a thing that's like a really big temptation for me because I'm uh I've always just been somebody who finds a new thing, gets really excited about it, like <laughs> digs into it like 115%. Yeah, and maybe. then a couple months later, I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'm excited about this new thing. And I just jump from thing to thing to thing to thing. And what I had to realize is there's a difference between doing that with my hobbies mm-hmm. <laughs> and doing that with things like that are important, like career choices or family, right? Like it's a good idea that I you know, I'm that. with, I'm with you and I'm not <laughs> jumping from person to person, right? Um, that entrepreneur smoke screen. Oh, I'm an entrepreneur. A lot of times just means like I have no self-discipline or I have commitment issues, right? Or I don't want to commit to an idea. <laughs> I don't have the, I don't have the self-discipline enough to say, no, this idea is worth sticking to 
So I'm going to stick to it and let it mature over time and figure out how if I really need like a fix of something new or fresh, find something else to do that with. But this idea is the right one. It's where I'm supposed to be. It's where I should be investing my time. Yeah. Figure out how to stay here and kind of push through seasons uh, where it feels like not as shiny. Mm -hmm. And what I've found with that is over time, those, they they come in waves. It's not like, uh, well, if I stay with this thing for a while that I'm, that I'm passionate about right now, there's going to be a point where it starts to lull and like become not as fun or exciting or like, you know, the infatuation phase, the honeymoon phase goes away. Mm -hmm. But with certain uh, ventures and stuff, it comes back around if you just make it through the lull periods. Yeah. It's so common to, I don't know, we were talking about how it's common to us being married. Um, Mm -hmm. We went through like the infatuation phase and like super great, like the early dating, getting engaged, getting married, all those like, so like infatuated and passionate and oh in love you know like all the all the big feelings you really don't have to have to try or yeah. choose to um care right it just it's automatic and it's like it drives you mm-hmm. but now we're at a point in our relationship where we have to choose to drive our relationship it's not like it's a runaway car and we're just like hanging on for dear life because it's like, oh my gosh, I'm so in love. I don't care who knows it. Right. We've been married for like 15 years now, dating for 20. 20. Yep. Yeah. Dating for 20 years. And so it's at a point where we have to choose to say, yeah, we're going to intentionally go on dates. We're going to intentionally do things that bring those feelings back. And we're going to choose to engage in those things. And people have been married um, for I'd say a long time, but really any length of time after the honeymoon phase where like kind of runs its course, you understand that. And it's not that the passion isn't there. It's not that it doesn't come back. It, it just, just takes a different type of fuel behind it. Mm-hmm. The same thing happens within nonprofit work or I mean businesses too, but we're talking nonprofit mm-hmm. is sometimes it's so easy to just chase that next feeling of infatuation, the next feeling of this is what passion must feel like. Um, and not recognize that sometimes you just have to put in the work in order to get your passion to f- get through into the next season of whatever the project might be, mm-hmm. whatever the next area of growth might be, whatever the next season is. Because being passionate about something doesn't mean that the thing is easy. And being passionate about something doesn't mean that it always feels good. Right. Like sometimes there are hard seasons where you either choose to stick it out and see it through or you just hop to the next thing and you end up with this whole mess of like, um, I just, I just feel like this field like littered with all these projects that are like started, good ideas, never went anywhere. And after a while, it actually affects your credibility for your organization. Right. There's like this period where everything is fresh and new and exciting when it comes to, let's just say like, you know, there's like you're running your first big fundraising event and that first time that you run it it's like fresh and new and because of that it's like a little scary you have like those adrenaline rushes if you're the kind of person who like really gets high off of like that kind of stress like i i do i like when there's a new 
thing that has a lot of working parts that could all fall apart. <laughs> like I'm like, I get excited by that. And it's like, we've talked about this actually before because, um, feeling anxious about something and feeling excited about something are actually like your body does the same thing. It's just kind of like where your mind's at. And so for me, they kind of like get mushy. And when something is hard and challenging, it's also the same kind of exciting. So then after a point when it becomes systemized, say you've been doing the same event for three or four years and that's like, okay, this is our annual gala. We've done this, this we've done this before, you know, the temptation is like, this isn't, scary anymore so it's boring and because it's boring we need to completely change it up yeah when a lot of people in your organization have never been to this gala before yeah a lot of people in your organization were at the last one and they're looking forward to the next one being the same Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the as a leader you're in it so much that it can be really really tempting to jump ship and say you know what we're not going to do the gala anymore. And it like, it was working great, but because it's not shiny and new and, and like the unknown, your entrepreneurial side is like, that's boring. Therefore it isn't good. And that's the problem. I think. Yeah. Boring doesn't mean not good. And boring doesn't mean ineffective. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes the boring thing is way more effective than burning everything down and starting over from scratch. But entrepreneurs like to do that. Yeah. And a lot of times, I mean, I have a business coach for um, my other business and they they always say like the money is in the mundane. Like Mm. you never get to the spot where you are building up that money and that revenue if you are unwilling to do the mundane work. And as someone who doesn't really care for the admin type work, the keeping up with the database, the um, just all of those little things, making sure the emails get out and like some of those little processes, I need to recognize that there is so much value in that because if I am only going for what I feel like doing on any given day, whether it's for legacy builders or the real estate staff or like what we're giving back to nonprofits, um, if I'm only ever doing what feels good and what I feel passionate about, I will never, ever, ever feel passionate about doing admin work. Yeah, you're never going to feel passionate about the mundane stuff. Right. But and, that is where... That's needed. In for-profit, that's where the money is. In nonprofit, mm. that's where your resources are. And that's where your impact for your community is going to be. The thing is, your donors, whether you like it or not, they want a mundane, impactful nonprofit. They want to know that when they show up, there is stability... And Mm -hmm. if they get the feeling that's always off to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, after a while, you lose the stories because you stop following up with people. You'll never have a story of someone's 10-year change if every year you're targeting a different group of people. Mm -hmm. You'll never have those big moments if you're never willing to let the stories, the people, uh, the measurable impact actually grow and see what it could become over time. And there's so much value there that is just left. It's like all these trees planted and nonprofit leaders are just off running in a completely different direction. And it's like, do you know there's fruit growing back there that you will never see because you just wanted to get onto the next thing that you're planting and you're screaming at the trees in front of you going, why aren't you growing? Mm -hmm. It's like it's because you are not willing to actually do the work of taking care of it and tending Mm -hmm. to it. I mean, it's the difference between like just throwing seeds out there and actually cultivating like 
cultivation is a different kind of thing than just like throwing a seed and just watching that one seed. It's like you take care of what you've started. Yeah. You see it through into maturity and then you reap the benefits of that. You yeah. don't immediately get benefits. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, part of it might be just culture that we're used to seeing people seemingly have overnight success, which I think we all know is like totally fake. <laughs> there's there's always a story behind the story, right? Yep. And so it becomes this, well, maybe if I just did this other thing, then I would experience the overnight success. Right. But usually the people who are finding success in doing what they're doing, especially in the nonprofit world, have learned how to start something, cultivate it, take care of it, improve it, grow it. And then at some point, there was like a tipping point where it fi- well, like it exploded, but it took a cultivation process. And they were willing to wait to harvest until, until the, time the right, right time. Yeah. That's hugely important. And I mean, just so you know, you might be thinking, I'm not going to scrap my annual gala. Um, I'm not looking for like the next big thing. But sometimes it's even just the mindset of getting too far ahead and not stopping to celebrate in the moment. And this mm-hmm. is something that like I'm guilty of in work. We will work on a project and I'll finally wrap it up and Ted will get home. He's like, how'd it go? I'm like, oh, yeah, it's done. And he's like, oh, it's great. I'm like, yeah, it's fine, but I'm already on the next thing. And he's and you'll be like, no, we need to stop and actually celebrate this. And that's something that we have to be careful of in our own home. Now, we've worked with many different nonprofits at different events. And I remember one event um, in particular was just big. They had, I don't know, almost 100, maybe more volunteers helping out. Just a huge thing. And it it went really well. But I touched base with the leader like the day after the event or two days after. And I was just like, hey, how are you doing now that the event is done? Like, I mean, it's a big lead up. So you'd think it'd be a, oh, it feels great. We did it. High five. High yeah. five. We did it. Like high-fiving volunteers, making sure everyone knows that, like, we pulled it off. Let's celebrate. And I was like, how are you feeling now that the event is done? And they're like, oh, that was two days ago. I'm done thinking about that. Here's the next thing. And in that moment, I was shocked. And I was just like, your volunteers need more than this. Your volunteers need the other side of it, that celebration, and not like the shiny let's plan for the next thing, but actually the willingness to sit and not move on to the next future goal or accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And that can be really difficult to do. But if you can train yourself to do that, that is like one of the main areas where you either get people to stay with you into the next event or where they opt out because they feel like their contribution didn't matter to you as a leader. I think psychologically too, leaders need this as well. Cause mm-hmm. the only thing that happens if you don't slow down to celebrate is that you teach yourself, you teach your body, you teach your mind, you teach just like your own reflect reflexes about stuff. You teach yourself that the only thing on the other side of a success is more work. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons why I've started to try to pay more attention for us when we both accomplish something is like, Hey, let's go just 
go on a quick little lunch date just to kind of celebrate and just think back on how great that was because I want my brain the next time I sit down to do something hard to be thinking there's a reward on the other side of this. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just like a tiny little subtle thing that my brain's like, hey, remember, there's good stuff at the end instead of like, you're going to be so exhausted and you're going to have to do another hard thing. Yeah. That just leads to me. Like, I know myself enough to know that over given enough time doing that pattern, I'll just quit because I'm like, I can't do another big thing because on the other side of it is just another big thing. Right. And I know for myself with the people that we are um, working with or having had other leadership positions in the past and and even having like kids in the family, if we don't stop to have those celebrations, a lot of times they're not even for our benefit. Yes, they are. We do do them for our benefit. Um, But they're also a benefit for the people that we are impacting and that we are leading Mm -hmm. because they need to know that their contribution and their sacrifice and their time with us or their time apart from us was all valuable. And in the end, we are going to sit around and celebrate or have with our kids. I remember there were a couple of times that we went through super busy seasons and At the end of it, we went to a water park together or we would do a dance party in the kitchen or whatever it might be (laughs) because like they need that. Our volunteers need it. Um, People need to know that what they contributed to mattered. And it wasn't just about what they brought to the table, but it was about the fact that as they brought it to the table, that they made a difference in other people's lives and they are worth celebrating for that. Um, the celebration can't only be about the people that we are um, impacting for the cause, but it also needs to be the impact that we're having on the lives of the people who are gathered around us. Yeah, we have a duty to mm-hmm. care for them and to encourage them and to show them that what they're doing matters too. It's not just the people whose lives are being changed because they're the ones that our mission statement says we're going to help. It's also the lives that are being changed as they choose to contribute and give. Mm-hmm. And we need to celebrate them, too. And if we're not, we're missing on a huge part of what we can do to really impact the world. Right. And that's why it's so important, like thinking about your passion in the correct way rather than what's exciting, what's new, what's on the other side of the horizon, what's right around the corner, you know, what uh, what's dangerous you know, I mean, for real, I mean, a lot what's of people stressful? are, yeah, people are like, addicted to stress Oh yeah, and being busy. Like, I mean, I, I am, I have to actively like fight to not just create stress in my life in order to be able to like accomplish something to relieve the stress, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think it's really, really important to remember that like passion is not those things, mm-hmm. you know, passion is like a deep desire that says, you know, even when it's not exciting not dangerous, not fresh and new and shiny, that if it's valuable enough that I'm passionate about it, I'm going to stick through that stuff and I'm not going to abandon ship Yeah, because it looks like, you know, we went, we set sail. There's that initial, like we left the docks and we, you know, got the sails going and pff, the wind's in our face. And then like two weeks in, everybody's hungry and there's, you know, we're all pirates. I don't know why I'm using this pirate analogy, but like we're all out on the sea and it's just like, it's just blank ocean and you're just out there and you're, the food's bad at this point. Like it's (laughs) like all you got left is hard tack, you know, it's not good. (laughs) And 
it's at that point where like a lot of leaders decide like I'm abandoning ship now. This thing, this, this has sailed its course. It's over, you know, because mm-hmm. it, because it like even keeled out. Yeah. And instead of saying like, okay, th- we're on the journey and we have, um, we have hit the point now where we're like maintaining and that's okay. And that's normal for things that mature to like kind of slow down. I mean, like when you think about a, a tree growing, right? Mm-hmm. It sprouts so quickly and it like grow, And then all of a sudden it's like, it doesn't do anything for like 40 years. It's like so slow. <laughs> it's like what is happening? It's so slow. You can't <laughs> tell anything is even changing with the tree. Also reminds me of um, the idea of the second, third. Like, mm, oh, I, yeah. I read this a couple of years ago. I think it it was a post by an author, Rebecca Lyons. Um, but she was writing about how she was in the second third of her new book, of the writing process. And she said every project has three thirds. You have your first third, your second third, and your third third. She said the first third is exciting. It's like, let's do it. It's new. We're excited. We have all the ideas. We're going to go do all the stuff and get it all accomplished and whatever mm. it might be. And then the second third happens. And now the third third is great because you're starting to see the ideas come together. You're getting the final product. You're holding it in your hand. Or maybe you're actually leading up to the event and you're starting to see how things. But the second third is terrible. And this is where most people quit. It's a slog. It's a slog. Um, Everything feels chaotic. It feels like um, just everything fell apart. The ideas aren't coming together. They're scattered all over. And it's that point, it's like when you're doing a reno in a house, like you walk in and you're not in the process of- A renovation of, for those who don't. <laughs> of tearing stuff down, but like you walk in and you're like, this looks like a bomb went off and there's so much work to do here. Yeah, it I becomes don't know daunting. If it's it becomes, yeah, it becomes overwhelming. It's the overwhelming. moment where, yeah, it's daunting. It, it doesn't seem possible. You never know if you're going to make it out the other side and you start to wonder, like, what did I get myself into? And oftentimes, as leaders, we equate the first third with being passionate. And we're like, as long as I feel like I'm always in the first third, as long as I feel like I'm there. And then we wonder why we never see the final product come to yeah, fruition. Yeah, you never see the third third kind of results. Right. Yeah, yeah, because you're always jumping off board. Mm-hmm. And Man. that's huge. Let's talk about a few ways that you can maintain passion through a longer project. Because I think... I'll start talking because I don't know how to ask this question, but you'll kind of figure it out. (laughs) I think a lot of leaders assume that um, I have to feel the passion and they don't recognize that they can build passion into what they're doing or they can kind of adjust what they're passionate about so that actually sustains longer. Mm -hmm. So for me, um, one thing, there was a season where I was leading a group of people Um, And the tasks that we were doing, I wasn't super passionate about. Like, I was excited about getting new systems implemented and kind of reorganizing stuff and fixing what was broken. Like, I get excited about that. But then once it gets into the admin or the maintenance mode, I'm like, oh, why am I here? I just, (laughs) I don't enjoy it. And so I had to choose to become less passionate about the tasks that we were doing, less passionate about the events that we were helping with. And more passionate about seeing the growth of the people who were volunteering with me. Mm. And so even though the work became less, oh, I'm so excited to do this, 
I became passionate and became excited about seeing the same people week after week and month after month and checking in with different aspects of their lives and seeing how I could help them. Now, this group of people was not the group that the organization was trying to help. This was the group of volunteers that were helping me help the organization to help the group of people that we were trying to help. Right, they were organizational partners. Yeah, they were partners. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there was a season where I had to very intentionally shift my focus and find a way to become passionate and still feel that and feel excitement, even though um, the work and the events were no longer the thing that was carrying me forward because yeah. I was not excited about it. But I still knew that there there was excitement there. I, I knew overall, this is like the overall thing I'm passionate about. Yeah. But how can I adjust this little piece here? Yeah, as you were talking, I think this is the way it works. In the first third, the passion itself feeds and drives you. And then in the third third of any project or any new venture or whatever, the momentum drives you because you have to run to keep up. Like you, yeah. you don't need motivation because it's like the deadline is here and we're almost ready. And like, that's the, that's enough to drive you yeah. in the second third. You have to feed and drive your passion. Like you, you have to trust that this is the thing that I'm passionate about. And so how do I reframe my thinking about this? So that way the passion comes back in. How do I inject little bits of the stuff that initially got me passionate about this into what it is that I'm currently doing, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's a really, really, um, tricky thing to do. You have to think back and say, how do I keep doing what I'm doing? Like without abandoning ship, Yeah. but you know, I, uh, to go back to the pirate analogy, just cause I don't know why, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, as a sailing on a sailboat, when it starts to get like really, you know, boring and stuff, this would be like a moment where you just like stand at the front of the ship and just let the wind blow in your face. You just kind of look out over it. You just kind of try to take it in. Do you have a Titanic moment? <laughs> yeah, I'm totally thinking. <laughs> <laughs> but for real though, like taking those moments to remind yourself <laughs> when you feel like quitting, remember why you started. <laughs> it's like written on a basic mom's house wall. Hey, I, but, I have that <laughs> right there. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's right there. On a, <laughs> works both ways. Um, but no, it's uh, it's true, though. You yeah. have to figure out how to inject that into it. If if you trusted this thing enough to jump in and say, this is the direction we need to go, you need to ride through it and let it mature. Yeah. Um, I think it's a better idea to kill something, <laughs> kill an idea partway through the first third when you realize like, I was just excited about this. This is a bad idea. <laughs> um, I don't think the second third is a great time to kill it. Cause you're going to want to kill it anyway at the second third. Right. You have to be really careful. If you're making that decision, you better, you better have a lot of data to back up why this is a, yeah. this is worth stopping this project at this point. It's like um, when we were in ministry full time, there was a saying like never quit on a Monday. And it was because weekends in ministry are extremely difficult. And Monday morning you wake up and you're just exhausted. You're worn out. You always want to quit on a Monday. All the time. <laughs> you've spent all of your energy on all of the people. 
And no matter how great the weekend went, no matter how many people were helped, there was always a part of you that woke up Monday and just went, oh, I feel terrible. I'm getting too old for this. And you're like 22 (laughs) and you look like you're 83. (laughs) So we just knew like you never quit on a Monday, you know, and I think a lot of times the second thirds are the Mondays. Like, be careful in that season. Like, don't quit on the right thing because you're in the mess of it. Because that other part is coming over. I think too often we allow the excitement to justify a bad idea. (laughs) And then we allow the fact that we are no longer excited to justify killing a good idea. idea. Yeah, yeah. And those two things together are so damaging to nonprofit work and damaging to the people that you're leading. Because when you are excited, you rally the people around you and you get them on board. It's like, come help, come help, come help. And then suddenly you're willing to throw it away, which means you have re- you have raised up their passion, gotten them to commit to helping you, and then told them that what they now value, because you told them to value it, yeah, no they- <laughs> longer matters to you. Like, it's super confusing for your right people it, who it are on them, board with your yeah, organization. It gives them whiplash. It's so confusing, yeah. And we talk about it all the time that, like, the, you're, the most valuable thing that you have in an organization is trust with people. Yeah. And when you do that, when you whiplash people like that, the trust goes down. And so you got to be really careful to say, like, okay, be careful with using the word passion. You know, don't just throw it around and equate it to the same thing as infatuation because mm-hmm. they're different. You know, yeah. one really includes you know, passion really includes choice and intentionality and not just being sloshed around by what is exciting. Yeah. You know, and so I think passion it can really be a trap if it's understood in the wrong way. Right. Um, but I think in a lot of ways, understanding what it takes to actually see passion follow through. That's huge. Because I've seen some people leave ideas, you know, because they're no longer passionate. I've seen other people want to start ideas and someone saying, well, if you're passionate, it must be the right thing. And you can have. <laughs> That's not always true. <laughs> That's not always true. Just you watch can... American Idol and you'll know. Some people really just should have never gone into the first third. (laughs) (laughs) You can have passion about something and yet not have developed the skills to be able to even start that first third process. And so sometimes it's not even that the passion is wrong. It's that the timing might not be right or you need to develop a little bit more in certain areas so that you have what it takes in order to sustain yourself, your vision, your organization, all of the components into the future and through that second third if you have an idea and you can say like i don't know if i'm going to make it through that second third that's a good time to stop and just kind of look at the idea get some outside perspective and figure out if the idea is good or if the timing isn't quite right or whatever the thing might be because it is hard to watch just a whole slew of potential ideas that are just kind of like half there like they're not fully built they kind of got started but then they were Mm -hmm. abandoned and it's so much time and energy that goes into even getting those things off the ground it might feel easy for you as a leader to get through the first third but it that excitement for you is not carrying your volunteers right your staff and your volunteers who are investing their hours and their time and their 
okay, if this is what we're doing, I'm going to buckle down and do it. I'm committed to helping. They don't have, they likely do not have that same excitement. And so they are pulling from a different reserve within themselves in order to help you do the thing because you said this was the next thing. And if the only thing carrying you is the short-term infatuation with the idea and you're going to quit later, you are sapping some of your greatest resources from your best people Hmm. um, because you are asking them to invest the best parts of themselves in something that you have no intention of following through on. All right, right now you might say you have the intention, but do you have the intention of continuing the idea even after you no longer feel passionate about it? Yeah, I think a big thing for leaders to do is to consistently take like an inventory of their past and just look at their track record and just say, how good have I been at letting things mature? Mm -hmm. How long have I allowed new ideas to sit and actually have time to show results? Because like a month of doing a new strategy is not enough time to see results. That's like barely enough time to get uh, a feel for how to do it decently. Right. You know, and then you have to let it run for a while to let it act to start to see like a snowball effect. Yeah. Right. Like if you're reading the book, the 12 week year and you're like, sweet 12 week year, I want to see results in four weeks. Like what? (laughs) It's a 12 week year. It's a 12 week, 12 weeks. You need 12, but That's something that is common with nonprofit leaders is this idea of, yeah, I want the long-term results in a short-term timeline, and I'm willing to skip whatever is necessary in order to get it. And I want it like, yeah. I mean, it's it's just, it's, it's like there's pain in doing something for a long period of time and realizing, okay, I invested a year into this. And it didn't work very well. Yeah. And I think in order to avoid pain, entrepreneurial people and leaders justify um, their, they're just trying to avoid pain by jumping from thing to thing and then being like, it didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work. Instead of like taking ownership and saying it didn't work because I didn't do it. Like doing a thing involves letting it mature. So if you did a gala one time and it didn't work, I'm sorry, but one time doing a gala is not enough to even begin to get good at doing galas. And then there's a snowball effect that happens after like you've done a few galas and people start to catch word that like your galas are really awesome. Or if you can't other, have that in your first gala yeah. or a few other events like. That's the thing. I know one organization that just did their first gala this year, and it was a huge success. But they've also put on massive events. The leaders from their past had produced, like, multiple concerts, multiple albums, multiple, like, all of these other big event things in their past that suddenly they have an organization that's, I think, eight or nine years old, and they decide to do their first gala And it went off great. But if your organization doesn't have that leadership background or you just don't have the experience with the whole event concept, like you Mm -hmm. have to give yourself time in order to grow into that. 
Mm-hmm. Or bring people around you who have more experience so that they can help shave off a couple of years of time. It's like, oh, we tried incorporating volunteers into our nonprofit and it didn't work. It's like you. Therefore, volunteerism doesn't work. Like, uh, oh. uh, <laughs> no, these things they take time. Like they're like um, I want to say, well, it, in a good way, they're like weeds. You know, they take time to like take root and spread. And, you know, like one dandelion by itself doesn't take over your lawn, but give it a few seasons of never taking care of dandelions. Now you got a ton of dandelions <laughs> like so I, that's I mean, that's the real danger with just saying, like, I'm going to do what I'm passionate about and using it as a smoke as a smoke screen to avoid the pain of just uh, failing as a leader, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, using oh, I'm going to do what I'm passionate about as uh, as an excuse to. To say like, well, I have to just, you know, I have to make sure that I don't burn out as a leader. So I got to do what I want to do. Otherwise, I'm going to it's like, yes, but also if you're a quality leader, you don't have to constantly be excited in order to get the stinking job done, like get it done. You know, I I think about (laughs) I love our kids. Our kids are, you know, younger and they like have their chores and stuff, right? Chores aren't aren't fun. They're they're not supposed to be fun. And (laughs) like they they'll do the fun things that they need to do kind of for the school day we homeschool they do like their more fun things and they'll come to the chores and like oh i don't want to do the chore i'm like that's the point of a chore is that you learn how to do a thing that you don't want to do because so much success in life and in nonprofit work and whatever is in doing the things that you don't want to do you don't get to just like skip that part (laughs) right and if you're just trying to skip that part you don't get the benefit of having actually done the thing um there i wish that so much more like i wish the things that i was passionate about just didn't have the other pieces and components to it i just don't think anything worth doing is all just easy and fun and light because even if it is there's a point where it becomes mundane like Mm -hmm. like i you know i play video games i do use youtube the thing right and it's going well Listen, there are times that I pick up a video game. I'm like, I don't want to play this. This is boring. <laughs> I don't want to. This has become mundane. You know, people are like, I can't believe you. You know, you could just play video games and it's kind of like a job. Yeah. And it's like, there are times when it's like, this is a new fresh video game. This is exciting. And then there are times where I'm playing the same one I've been playing for seven years. And I'm like, this is just part of the job. You just, yep. you got to just sit down and do it. <laughs> I mean, we even know for ourselves, like people say, oh, if I could, I would just go move and live on a beach and just sit on the beach all day forever. And I know for myself, I could do that for one day, two day, three days, four days, depending on the season, maybe a week, week and a half. But by daytime, like we have gone on vacation together. And by the end of it, we're both antsy. We're like, OK, can we get back to accomplishing something like, it doesn't have to be, like, getting back to work necessarily, but can we get back to mm-hmm. progressing in some area? But in order to move forward in some area, there has to be a time where, yes, you are doing the parts that are difficult. And we, I don't know, I just feel like we sell our nonprofits short far too often mm-hmm. simply because we don't want to do the thing that is mundane or that feels tedious, or we think we can just hire someone else to do the mundane and tedious. And therefore nothing that we do as leaders should ever be mundane and tedious. Right. And that's just not how an organization can successfully grow over time. Um, I mean, you can get some growth. Don't get me wrong. You can get some growth. You can get some great stuff that looks great from the outside. 
Um, but from the inside, eventually it starts to collapse. And people who join your organization thinking it's successful come in and they're like, how is it still running as if it's two years old? How is it still running <laughs> as if there are no structures in place and no systems in place? And how are people supposed to thrive in the midst of a leader who loves chaos? Mm-hmm. And that's something that we need to be very, very aware of because it's not about the other nonprofit leaders. This is what we need to become aware of for ourselves and for each of you listening, because if we don't recognize it in ourselves, we will perpe- we will perpetuate it. Mm-hmm. And then when someone calls out on it, we'll say, but, but I'm passionate. I'm just doing what I'm passionate about. I'm just about. doing what I'm passionate about. Especially so, in this culture that mm-hmm. very much loves people who do what they're passionate about above all else. Right. So our question to you listeners today is, you know, what areas when you really take an honest inventory of your organization, the way that you lead, what areas are you using the word passion as a smokescreen to hide what's really going on? That you're like you're avoiding the hard work or the mundane work. Um, you're using passion as an excuse to be addicted to stress or be addicted to excitement or be addicted to switching to something new. Um, what are those areas? I think just becoming aware of them is like half the battle mm-hmm. because Definitely. that can be really, really tricky in and of itself. Yes. Now, as always, um, if you want to share them with us or if you have a story that you'd like to share from your nonprofit experience, we're always happy to hear from you. You can reach out to us at office at LegacyBuildersintl.com. Thanks for listening to the Legacy Builders Movement. If you appreciate this podcast and find that it's valuable, the best way that you could help us is to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. To learn more about Legacy Builders, go to LegacyBuildersInternational.com. That's LegacyBuildersIntl.com. 